All right. Good morning, church. I'm so glad you again you are here again. If you don't, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at the Refuge Church, and I have the pleasure of continuing our uh, our study through the Minor Prophets. Uh, so you get three weeks in a row of Blake. That's our gift to you. Um, so, um, uh, but uh, next week, where Paul Dacus is going to be picking up the helm as, as we continue our study through uh, through Joel and all the, some of the other minor prophets. So, um, so I hope you have been enjoying this series as much as we have. We are super stoked as we continue to walk through all twelve of the minor prophets together. Um, so, like I said, I am obviously not Scott, uh, one of our uh, our teaching pastor, who's usually here in the pulpit. Uh, but I wanted to give you guys a quick update on how he's doing. Uh, so I, I know that not everyone's on social media, which is where you're usually sharing a lot of this stuff, but I, I talked to him this morning, and what he wants everyone to know is that as he's going to his different doctor's appointments every week, that they are giving him, like, basically as good as it could be going, that's how it's going. So thank you so much for all of your prayers, for Scott, for Jeff, his, his living donor, who's actually uh, here today. We're so, thank you, uh, we're so thankful for all of your prayers in this. Our God is a good God, is he not? The great physician is looking over both of these men who are, as he's continuing to heal them. So uh, he has another doctor's appointment this Wednesday, uh, which is the last one of it every week. And uh, then he's going to be going to every other week and then slowing down. Uh, he continues to stay in quarantine just because of his uh, suppressed immune system from the kidney transplant. Uh, but he is doing as good as he possibly could. So your prayers are working. We believe that prayer is powerful. And I trust that that is a huge element of what's going on uh, in, in Jeff and Scott's recovery. So thank you so much for that. Continue to pray for these guys. So, um, so now a few weeks ago, as you know, we finished our book of Ephesians. We spent almost a year in Ephesians as we were walking through that. And so now, as we walk, uh, the book that we're going to be studying on, or I should say books, are the 12 minor prophets. So if you're new to the Refuge Church, you should know that, um, that our preaching series are always very simple. Okay, We pick a book of the Bible, we walk straight through it, and we learn what does that show us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. We preach the gospel every single week, and we look at how all 66 books of the Bible, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, look at the work of Jesus Christ and how the implications we have for us today. So whether in the Old Testament, then looking forward to the promises yet to be fulfilled of God, or in the New Testament, we're looking back at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the implications that has for us today. The whole Bible tells the story of a God who rescues his people and wants to do it so much that he actually humbles himself and comes down to earth and dies on our behalf. That is the God that we serve. Amen? That is the God that we serve. And that's the God that we get to worship today as we continue our study through Hosea. Sorry, I need to turn on my iPad. Um, so today is, uh, I'm really excited about today. Um, I, it, I don't know if it's just the text that I'm preaching or the fact that I've had uh, three cups of coffee this morning, but I might be, co- I might be t- uh, talking a little fast this morning, so someone give me a signal if I start going off the rails or something, like one of these or something, I don't know, whatever you got to do, okay, but I'm super stoked about uh, today, and I can't wait to show us, see what God has in store for us as we are looking through Hosea, uh, cha- uh, the, the rest of Hosea this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, you're you're going to need them today, and open up to Hosea chapter 4. If you're not sure how to get there, I know that Hosea is probably not one of those books that you're quick to the draw, like Matthew or something like that, or Genesis. So just open it up right in the middle. You'll probably land somewhere in Psalms or Isaiah, and just hang a right, and uh, you'll see it there right after Daniel. If you need a Bible, if you don't have a physical Bible here, we have some here throughout the room on the communion tables. Grab it. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take that with you. It'll be our joy for us to, to gift you a Bible this morning. So, so real quick, what we did last week is we focused on Hosea's chapter 1 through 3. So to give you a quick recap of what that looks like, 
is I uh, just want to kind of give you a rundown of what last week uh, we covered. So, so what we saw is that Hosea's family was anything but typical. His wife, Gomer, was actually a prostitute. She was a prostitute before marrying uh, Hosea and even during the marriage to Hosea. In fact, God told Hosea to go and find a wife who was a prostitute. And that's a very odd thing for God to tell someone to do. Would you agree? So the question is, why would he tell him to do such a strange request? Well, God told him to marry a prostitute so that Hosea would personally feel the pain of a wife rejecting her husband, running after other lovers, and taking the good gifts given by Hosea to her and her turning around and giving them to her lovers. He wanted him to feel the personal pain of that. And this mimics the way God's people constantly turn away from him, running after other gods, and perverting the good gifts he gives them. So when I keep saying them, who else do I also mean? We talked about this last week. When I say them, who, who do I mean? Us. Us. When I say them, I mean us. All of us. All of us are constantly turning away from the one true God to chase after our own desires. Like we, we talked about that last week. We do this daily. We are constantly worshiping other gods. Now, these gods might not be some, some you know, golden calf that you keep in your closet. I mean, maybe some of you do. You should, you should probably let us know about that. But, but it's, it's probably not this deity in the sky, but the gods we worship do have names. Maybe it's money. Maybe the god you worship is named reputation or approval or status or sports. I know I said sports in the South. Our kids. You can fill in the blank. We are hundreds of gods that we worship all the time, that we place in, uh, that we let take the place of God in our lives. Now, now, all of these things, these things aren't bad in and of themselves. However, when these things become elevated and capture our hearts more than God does, then we start worshiping those things. Because we as humans, we cannot help but worship. It's almost like we have a water hose that's always on. And it, it, it's not whether it's on or off, it depends on what we're pointing it at. And so whether we're, if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. And it might be one of those things, but anytime those things re- re- uh, receive our worship, it becomes an idol in our lives, and we are trying to make that the gods of our universe. But all of those things pale in comparison to the God that all of us run to most often. And that was who? Me. Not Blake, but me. Like, point to yourself. Everyone point to yourself right now. That is the God that you often run to. That is the God that we often run to because we talked over the last two weeks that when we sin, we are attempting to make ourselves and our own desires the gods of our universe. Chasing after our own desires effectively tells God, the thing I'm chasing after God, this will make me happier than you will. And this is the same thing that the people of Israel were doing in the book of Hosea. And Hosea's marriage to Gomer played out this story. But the good news is that Hosea didn't leave his wife with his lover, did he? He also chased after her and paid to bring herself back to him. This also plays out the story of what God is doing for his people even today. Just like Hosea paying the price to win his bride back to himself, God paid the price to win his people back to himself. But God But the price God paid was infinitely more than the 15 shekels and a bag of grain that he paid for Gomer, wasn't it? What was the price God gave to to rescue his people? Himself. What he gave to rescue his people was himself. 
humbling himself, taking on flesh, living a life that we cannot live ourselves, and dying the death that we deserve on the cross as a payment for our sin, and then raising to life three days later. That is the price that God paid on our behalf to win us back to himself. So just like the whole Old Testament, Hosea 2 points us to the ultimate payment, Jesus paying for our sins on the cross. And this is what we looked at last week. And this week, we will uh, we'll continue to focus on the last nine chapters of Hosea, chapters 4 through 14. So if you can, go ahead and flip over your Bibles to cha- uh, Hosea chapter 4, and we're going to read this together. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. God, thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you for choosing to speak through him to your people, God. God, I pray that that we too, here in 2022, also see the truths that are available to us today, even from this book that was written thousands of years ago. God, it's still true. We still continue to run away from you. So God, convict us of our sin, convict us of the idols that we place in our lives, and help us to turn back to you, the one true God, the only real God, who loves us enough to die for us, God. So God, open our eyes, open our hearts to the words you have for us in Hosea 4-14. through 14. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So um, hopefully by now you found Hosea 4. If you can, we're actually going to read Hosea 4 together. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word together. So Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. uh, They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let no one accuse For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother, being Israel. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children, the descendants of Israel. And the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine. Remember, adultery is the is the picture that he's giving for how his people constantly run away to other gods which take away the understanding chapter uh, verse 12 my people inquire a piece of wood and their walking staffs give them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their god to play the whore they sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and turn offerings on the hills under oak poplar and terebinth because of their shade is good Therefore, your daughters, will, your daughters will play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. A people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty 
enter not into Gilgal, nor up to Bethaven, and swear not as the Lord lives, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim being another word for Israel. Leave him alone. When they're drunk, when their drink is gone, give, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind is wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. This is the word of God given to us. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So just like last week, this sermon is going to be a little PG-13. I know we're using some words that you typically don't hear in church, but guess where we do hear them? In the Word of God. So this is God speaking through them. And, and I know that when we're reading this, it feels heavy. Because here's the thing. It's supposed to feel heavy. Israel's sin, our sin in the presence of a holy God, is indeed heavy. In fact, it's heavy enough to crush us. This morning, we're going to feel this weight. I believe that the Lord, through Hosea, wants us to feel the heaviness of our sin and see what an affront it is to our Creator. So as you feel this heaviness, I pray that you feel heavy this morning. I want you to know there is good news in the face of insurmountable sin. So hang with me, I promise, okay? So when thinking about the book of Hosea, a helpful way to think about the style of writing that we actually see is something you actually might not expect. When reading multiple commentaries of Hosea, most scholars agree that the language used throughout Hosea actually mimics legal language of the day. So just like a courtroom that you see. So imagine yourself as we're reading Hosea, that it being us sitting in a courtroom, hearing the arguments of someone proving someone's guilt. Now, back then they argued in front of the city gates, usually not a courtroom like this in Arkansas, but you get the idea, right? So, so for the rest of the study, that's what I want you to imagine. Imagine us sitting in a courtroom, hearing these arguments put out to, to, to prove the guilt of the defendant. So after, over the last two weeks, we can see that God is justified in his accusations, is he not? We believe that God is justified. Again, one of the overarching themes that we see throughout all of the uh, minor prophets is a call to repentance. But repentance isn't needed unless some offense has, been, has occurred, right? So last week, we discussed that the offense being made, as we looked at Hosea 1-3, through 3, was Gomer running away from her faithful, loving husband into the arms of other lovers. This, of course, being a metaphor for how God's people, Israel, us, all of humanity, continually run away from the one true God and chase after our own desires. But here in Hosea 4, God makes his case by laying out a bunch of evidence against his wayward people. So in verse 1, we read this. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. That's what we read. The Lord has a controversy. So what is this controversy that he's talking about? Well, we see three things that he's laying out here. So there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God. So those are the three things that we're being accused of right off the top. And what's interesting about this last accusation 
the knowledge of God, that the knowledge, the word that we see that's translated as knowledge is actually the Hebrew word yada. Say that with me. Yada. Yada. Say it again. Yada. You're getting it. So, or yada, yada, yada. No, but it's yada, okay? So, uh, for, your, for your Seinfeld fans. But, um, but it, so it doesn't just convey that it's knowledge about something. This actually conveys something a lot more deep. This conveys a knowledge and a relationship with someone. It'd be like the difference between me just knowing about our deacon of music, Jeff, or it might be me, or the difference between me just knowing him or me actually being friends with him. You see the difference? Me just knowing about someone because I see them every once in a while versus us actually being friends together. We're friends, right, Jeff? Best friends? Okay, yeah, we're okay. We'll talk about it later. So yeah, so we're friends. You see the difference between that. And that's what God is talking about, that there is a difference between just knowing about God versus actually knowing him intimately and personally. So God is saying that his people have no relationship with him, which is just further symptom of their lack of love and their lack of faithfulness. And this is the accusation God is bringing against the people. And he will spend the rest of the book of Hosea giving evidence, examples, and metaphors to prove his point in this legal argument. So again, I need to remind ourselves, in this legal case... Who is the defendant? That's right, Larry McBee. So that is, uh, that's, he's, okay, not just Larry McBee, but all of us. All of us are the defendant. As we're hearing this legal case being played out in the courtroom, we imagine ourselves, we are the ones sitting in the defense stand. We are the ones being railed against proving our guilt and Larry McBee's guilt. Mostly Larry's, but also the rest of us, okay? So, so this is the thing that we need to make sure we keep in mind. And as we continue on, I want us to embrace the weight that we are meant to feel. The case being argued in this room is being argued to prove our guilt. And I think we all know the level of our innocence, don't we? Non-existent. None of us can claim innocence. We know that we are guilty, and now we have to endure the charges being stacked against us higher and higher in this court of law. It's overwhelming. But also be reminded, we are not without hope. But I'll put a pin in that. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? So in Hosea 4 through 14, I know we're going to cover a lot of ground as we're going through all these chapters, so I want to make sure you understand kind of how to stay oriented as we're talking about this. Um, The the two things that we're going to see God doing through this is the first thing is he's going to prove how we are accused. He will learn exactly what God's people, including us, are being accused of. And God shows us the undeniable evidence that proves our guilt. And then secondly, we'll see the verdicts being delivered. Find the judgment that we are due and the sentence we must pay for our guilt. So first, what exactly is Israel being accused of? And of course, by Israel, us. Why, what are we being accused of? Why are we standing trial? So we saw some of the language last week in Hosea 1 through 3, and we even just saw it again here in Hosea 4. The first thing we're being accused of is adultery. Adultery, worshiping other gods. It's a, it's a metaphor that God uses throughout all of Hosea to, uh, as a metaphor for God, the people of God turning away from their one true God to chase after uh, other gods, false gods, gods that they make with their own hands, he even says. So it's no surprise there. Over and over he uses this metaphor. But is that it? Is that the only thing we're being accused of? So before, before we move on, what if this was the only thing we were being accused of? 
No big deal, right? No, it's a huge deal. If this were the only thing we were being accused of, we stand convicted, do we not? And that is enough to separate us from the love of our Father. But what we learn is that this, this isn't the only crime we, commenced, uh, uh, we uh, committed against God. Excuse me. So read with me. Turn now to Hosea chapter 6, just a few chapters over. We're going to read the first seven verses. and We'll see what else we are being accused of along with the nation of Israel. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, but the knowledge, God, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the, they transgressed the covenant. There, they dealt falsely with me. We'll stop right there. So what we see... It's the second thing we are being accused of. So the first thing is idolatry. Here in Hosea 6, we see that we are also being accused of breaking covenant with the Lord. So just like he pointed back to the covenant that he made with Adam. But if we we think about covenants, we see these all throughout the Old Testament. We see it with Moses, again with Abraham, with Noah. We see lots of different covenants. But overall, what is this covenant that we are being accused of breaking? Well, back in Genesis, we saw, we studied this a little bit. And the idea, the covenant that God is making with his people is that God promises, which is another word for covenant, God promises that he will deliver and rescue his people. And the people's covenant with God is that they will worship only the one true God and follow his commandments. And this is what we're being accused of breaking. And now, by a show of hands, who believes that this accusation is just? Who believes that they, he, God is justified in accusing us of breaking his commandments. All of us. So this is what we're accused of breaking. None of us follow all the commands of God. We all know that this accusation is spot on. So what else? What else are we being accused of? Turn with me to Hosea 8. We're going to read the first 14 verses. Hosea 8, starting verse 1. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not from God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken into pieces, for they sow the wind, and they they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, 
strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Is, uh, already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for them my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. For my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now we will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour her strongholds. This is Hosea chapter 8. So we see here in Hosea that Israel continues to do one thing but say another. So if we're looking at this accusation, what this boils down to is one simple word. Hypocrisy. The people of Israel are hypocrites. And not just them, though. We are hypocrites. I mean, would you agree? I mean, do do you ever do one thing but say another, like we see here in Hosea 8? Do Do you hold others to standards that you yourself fall short of? Of course. We all do. I do. All of us do. But just in case there's someone in this room who doesn't see their own hypocrisy, I want us to use the scripture of what we just read as somewhat of a diagnostic to make it crystal clear that none of us are innocent of hypocrisy. We see a lot of examples here in Hosea 8, uh, but let me modernize some of these examples and to see if any of us escape hypocrisy. So some examples I have, do, do you allow your friend to confide in you, but then turn around and gossip to others about that same thing you said you would hold in confidence? Do you ask for forgiveness from a friend but refuse to forgive a classmate or a coworker or another friend because of something they did to you? Do you get onto your kids for using coarse language, but then scream obscenities at the TV when your t- team's losing last night? If you answered yes to any of these, even just once, you stand guilty of hypocrisy. Now, some of you may have escaped those three, so I got some more. Here we go. Do you worship Jesus on Sunday only to walk out into the parking lot right after this and get jealous of the new car your friend just got? When you drive to lunch after gathering today, do you drive over the speed limit just enough so you don't get caught? When you and your family arrive at lunch, do you go in but ignore the beggar out on the street who's asking for money? Now that one's tricky because all of us always tell ourselves, well, they're just going to spend it on drugs or something. But most often, I'm just talking for me, I'm just saying that to justify my lack of generosity. It's not about them. It's about my cruel, wicked, ungenerous heart. Do you go all week without giving God a thought, but then the only time you pray is when you suddenly need or want something? Do you treat God like a genie in a bottle? Is the only time you read your Bible is when you see it on social media and you like it, share it, and comment amen with the little praying hands? 
So it's not really about you getting scripture and learning about God. It's really about you posturing yourself to seem pious in front of your social media followers. I could keep going. I'm sure you could too. We are all guilty of some, or like me, all of these. (laughs) We're all hypocrites. It's undeniable. So if you still disagree, please come find me after. I I would love to chat with you about that. Let's keep moving. In chapter 12, we read this, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind. Ephraim, again, being another name for Israel that Hosea uses, and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence, and they make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. So not only are the people just paying lip service to God while they're pursuing other gods, breaking covenant in a show of huge hypocrisy, we also see that Israel's lack of relationship with God has caused them to abandon their reliance and faith on God and instead rely on their political alliances with foreign nations, in this case, Assyria and Egypt. We even saw a little whispers of this as we were reading Hosea 8. In other words, instead of trusting that God will protect them, they're placing their trust solely in the hands of their political relationships. As if they're saying, maybe the armies of our friends will protect us because we don't believe God will. But God has an answer to this misplaced trust. And it's the last piece of evidence we'll look at this morning. And it's found in Hosea chapter 13. So read with me. We're going to start in verse 9 through 16. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? Those whom you said, give me a king and princess. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come from him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness and his fountain shall dry up his spring shall be parched it shall be it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her god they shall fall by the sword the little one shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open so what hope does God give the people for trusting in foreign powers? No hope at all. And he gives a gruesome warning of what can happen if they continue to reject the very one who is trying to protect them. I mean, in verse 9 we read, for you are against me, against your helper. He wants to help them. He wants to be their refuge, their protector, and their comfort. Hey, Eric, I just lost my uh, keynote. There we go. 
So what they do is that what, he wants to help them, but what is he met with? He's met with adultery as they worship false gods. He's met with broken promises as they forget the God who delivered them from slavery. And he's met with hypocrisy as they say one thing but do another, like we all do. Israel stands accused without any hope of defense. And we also stand accused and we know that we are guilty. So now that we've looked at the accusations being charged against us, and they have been overwhelmingly proved, I hope we all see, what verdict does the judge now hand down? Well, we read God's closing arguments in chapter 14. Read with me. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls and vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphans find mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew of Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow and they shall flourish like grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the, way of the Lord, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So in God's closing argument here in chapter 14, we see the same themes we will continue to see over and over throughout all of the minor prophets. A call to repentance and reminders of God's goodness. God is pleading with his people to turn away from these false gods and to ask for forgiveness. And he's promising to uphold his promise to deliver his people, not only from their own apostasy, which means turning away from God, but also to help them flourish and be a blessing to all nations like he promised that they would in his covenants. So what verdict is he handing down? Well, what does the evidence say? The evidence of our adultery is overwhelming. The evidence of our faithfulness is overwhelming. The evidence of our hypocrisy is what? It's overwhelming. The weight of our incalculable sin is a weight too heavy for us to bear, and it is crushing us under its weight. Any courtroom, in any city, in any country, ruled by any judge would find us overwhelmingly guilty. Because we are overwhelmingly guilty. We have no defense. So what verdict are we due? In Romans, we read that the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. The verdict we deserve isn't a fine or time served. The verdict we're due isn't community service or house arrest. The verdict we deserve is the most severe of them all, the death penalty. And not only physical death, 
but also a spiritual death, being eternally separated from the presence of the most holy God. But we know that it's not the verdict God offers in Hosea 14. In fact, it's the same verdict he offers to all of us. Mercy. Regardless of the verdict we deserve, look at the actual verdict we are offered. In Hosea 14, God offers to take away our iniquity in verse 2 and to heal our apostasy in verse 4. He offers to love freely, to turn away his anger in verse 4 and prosper his people. All the people have to do to receive their mercy is repent and again place their trust in him. This is the offer God gave to the nation of Israel through Hosea. And it's the same offer he has for you today in this room. Repent, be reminded of God's goodness, and place your faith in him. Even in the face of insurmountable, weighty sin, know that you are guilty. Let chapters 14 of Hosea show you the weight of of your sin. I hope you feel the weight of your incalculable sin. And know that the penalty for that sin is to crush you to death. But God, being rich in mercy, offers to pay the debt on our behalf. Through his son's Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. In Hosea 14.2, God gives the people some example words even to say to help them repent. How cool is that? That God not only tells us to repent, he even helps us to repent. Like, how cool is that? So perhaps a prayer of yours could sound something like this. And if you're feeling the weight of your sin and feel without hope right now, pray this with me. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I see that I fall short of the standard you set for your people. I see that I am unable to pay the debt that I owe for my sin. But God, I believe that you have paid that debt on my behalf by humbling yourself, taking on flesh in the person of Jesus. I believe that his death on the cross paid for that sin that I cannot pay on my own. And I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day putting death to death. If that is a prayer that you feel you need to pray, please come see me after the sermon, during communion time, after service. It would be my joy to explain what this looks like in your life today. This is the only hope that we have that another will pay our debt. Because without Jesus, the weight of your sin will crush you, eternally separating you from Jesus and from the one true God, Trinity. Without repentance and faith in Jesus, the verdict you will endear will not be mercy. I need you to understand that. Without Jesus, you are not going to receive mercy. You will receive justice. And what is the accusation that we saw? Is we, he is justified in accusing us of all these things, right? So I need you to understand that. If you do not follow Jesus, you will not receive mercy. You will receive justice, eternally separating you from a holy God. So Christian, I want you to remember, if you are following Jesus, if you are a Christian, take joy in the mercy that you now live in. Let it be, all that weight that you feel, know that it is being handed to Jesus and he paid it on your behalf. 
But for those of you who don't follow Jesus, and even some of you in this room who hypocritically say you follow Jesus, but everything else in your life says otherwise, I urge you to do the same thing that God urges his people to do in Hosea, to repent of your sin, to turn back to the only God who can save, Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what this looks like, if you're unsure, if you feel uneasy, if you feel this weight but don't feel like it's been paid by another, please come talk to me. Please. I'll be in the back eager to talk to you about what this looks like. Jesus paid that weight on our behalf. And that is good news, is it not, church? Let me pray for us.